You know, the, mar- the words that Mark just shared, very important for us, very true about how we can grow through pain. Naturally, when I selected the sermon and the title for the sermon, I was thinking about this phrase in light of the message this morning, but I was trying to think of it from a personal standpoint, and I'm just a little bit past five foot tall. I don't have growing pains. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> some of you may have experienced it, not enough for me. Um, but naturally, as we're looking at these words, um, there's something to be said for it because of the timing of what's going on in the congregation here. I want, I want it to be known that right now, there's, there's a special transition that I see we're on the cusp of personally, and, and that is standpoint of growth. Um, when we came here seven and a half years ago, I believe it was from a standpoint that, that one of the biggest weaknesses in the Lord's church in the United States is a lack of sharing the word. That's one of. It's not the only one, but it's one of the largest deficits. And so there was a lot of teaching back then on evangelism. And over these years, what I've seen as we've grown closer and as we've matured in Christ, I've seen us become more and more evangelistic. I still see a, a, a lot of progress that we're in need of, but that just comes with our, again, our growth, spiritually speaking. What was wonderful was when uh, Mr. Jim and Miss Shirley joined themselves to the work here and their heart and their passion was in the jails, going to the jails, and of course, We've been trying, right? We were trying to get in here at Williamson County, could not get in, tried for a good year talking to whomever I could. Uh, Long story short is we were able to get in at Davidson County, and we've been there now for a little over four years. During that time, I have seen growing pains in us individually speaking, and it's beautiful. And I say that because it is a necessary part of growing. It's necessary. When there is no pain, it's hard to grow. And we'll see some reasons why in just a little bit. But then we have a new opportunity, and I would love to thank Miss Linda for that opportunity. I'll be honest, Miss Linda, as I mentioned last week with the radio station and giving us, a, graciously get, providing for us a 15-minute slot Sunday mornings, I'll be honest, I want nothing to do with it personally. I'll say that very frankly. I love sharing God's word. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's laziness. I don't know. I, to spend 15 minutes, I have to tell you, is more difficult than preaching for me. Um, my words have to be much more succinct and impactful, and, and so it's a very difficult chore from my vantage point. And, and so I'm, I'm entering in new territory, new waters from that standpoint of go, getting on the radio, but I share that with you because of this. We will be getting visitors. And the visitors we will be getting and the target audience that I'm wanting to hit aren't always going to look like us. They will not have similar lives as many of us in this room. I believe for as diverse as we are in this congregation, we're a small bubble. And I believe that bubble is ready to expand. And unless we are ready as a family of believers here, we're going to experience growing pains. And I mean that sincerely. And I'll share some of these reasons in just a, just a few minutes. And so 
that's what we're looking at, right? We're, we're talking about being able to, to grow. And naturally, there's a play on this. I'm going to focus in on us as a congregation, on the Lord's church in general, even though what can be stated here can be applied personally. Your personal growth. Uh, and to Mark's point, the best times that I have grown as a child of God is when I have been challenged and when I have been facing trials in my own life. It has challenged me, and, and I've come out on the other end, blessed by the Lord, by his graciousness, to grow. Uh, otherwise, we just shrink up. Um, and, and there's some scriptures about that. And we're not getting into those scriptures, but that's what we're talking about this morning, growing pains. So naturally, you know, for us to be able to grow, and it went, let me just back up. There was a statement made, I forget who it was, last, last week. Um, we had... Um, some recent families that have joined themselves to the work here, and I forget who it was that says, Mitch, it's, oh, Steve, that's who it was, Mason, said, yeah, we're growing, it's working, something to that effect, and, and I know exactly what he means. Of course, when I speak of growth, primarily, I'm talking about people who are of the world, that are not members of the body of Christ, who are sought out with the wonderful good news of Jesus, and the Lord adds him to his church, right? So when we have Christians that join themselves to our work here, like Parker has this morning, which I'm very thankful for. He, get to know Parker. He's a wonderful young man who loves the Lord. When you get to have that, I don't see that as growth personally. It's just a shift. He just moved to one area of, of, within the body of Christ to another area within the body of Christ. He's still in the body of Christ. The church had not grown. And so from that vantage point, naturally, we can selfishly and even pridefully go, look at the church here. We're growing. We're not growing. We just have new church members in our family here. And so we're talking about the kind of growth that where you are looking at people in this world, precious, precious souls, who we share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, the soil is ready. One of the blessings of being able to, to do this radio program that I've been kind of shying away from was I've been thinking about how do I make this work? How can I reach people in our community? And, and, and I decided one of the things I'm going to be doing is I'm actually going to be interviewing people of the world. And so kind of get a, getting a sense of what I would be expecting, I had someone in my mind that I know is is of a worldly mindset, and he would agree with me that that is his mindset, I asked him some questions. And this is a person who I hold dear to my heart. He's a good friend, and, and we're not very close as far as friendships, but he's a good friend of mine. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, I, you're not a church-going kind of a person, and as far as your belief in Jesus Christ, as far as I'm concerned, I, I believe you to be agnostic, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes and proceeds to tell me about the group that he is associated with. He's got friends that are full-on pagans. I mean, Satan worship kind. And as I was talking to him, my heart was burning with joy because he was very open about the situation. And as we're discussing these things, I thought... The soul is prepared. Not him per se, but everyone around us. Everyone around us 
There are people who are searching, people who are heartbroken, things of, of their lives that, that they're open to the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what I mean by soil being prepared. And of course, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is inviting, right, all those who have heavy burdens. What does he say? Come to me. And as Jesus is going to people and talking to them, they're wanting to follow him because the soil is ready. And so in Luke chapter 8, remember in the parable of the soils? We might know it as the parable of the sower. Yeah, the, the seed that falls by the wayside, seed that falls on the rocky ground, seed that gets choked out by the weeds, and then there's good soil. And Luke chapter 8, verse 15 says that those who are represented in that parable are those who have good and honest hearts. When they're confronted with who they are as they stand before Jehovah God, they recognize, I need you for whatever their reasons are. And as a result, we see the opportunity for the gospel to, to get to them. And so these are people... And, and the list is by all means not exclusive to these three points. We could expand greatly upon this list, but these are people, people by and large whose hearts are really seeking truth, right? And we know that Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And so if we're going out sharing God's word, naturally we get to see that. So the soil is prepared. You got those not only with honest hearts, but broken hearts, shattered lives, Mark opened his heart to us, even if by a little glimpse, that if we did not know his personal situation, we could not understand the pain that he's been going through. If it's okay with you, I'll share just a little bit. He's gone through a recent divorce. And he lost both his parents within months of each other. All this within a span of a little over a year, I would say. It's hard to deal with. And so we're talking about people who don't have Christ that are going through similar situations of, of pain in their lives. And the gospel is ready for them. The soil is prepared. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 9. I want you to open your Bibles to the text here. And we're going to read a passage you've probably heard many, many times. But I want this to sink deep within your soul. Matthew chapter 9. Um, pick up in verse 35. It says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, as he's looking about, the harvest truly is plentiful. Did you hear that? The harvest is truly plentiful. It's been plentiful for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, the laborers are few. 
And so we have a great opportunity. And my, my goal is not to shame you going, okay, you got to get out and work. If you are growing in Christ, you're automatically going to be stirred without anything from my end. It just naturally is going to be happening to you individually. And so when you're ready, and as you're growing in the Lord and your heart compels you, you're going to have the same view that Jesus had when he looked out and he saw all these souls. You know, like you go into Walmart or Kroger, Best Buy, whatever, precious souls everywhere. The harvest is plenty. You don't know who is living what life. That's the gift until you get to know them. And you get to see they may be the very person who is desiring good news of Jesus Christ right now. And so the question that I have, as, as I believe we are on the cusp of this for, for our little church family, but I believe what's going on in the world, generally speaking, is also true in this country. The harvest is ready are we, the body of Christ, ready for the harvest? Are we ready to, to reap and receive the harvest? And when I ask that question, I'm asking it with you thinking of all the ramifications of what exactly that means. And so the rest of this morning, I'm wanting to open your mind up to the possibilities of those very ramifications. I have brought some of these ramifications out in the past, and it's going to be a reminder from some of these conversations we've had in the sermons and Bible studies of, of years gone by. So, the seed is falling. That's very clear, very quick point, whether it's in the jails, in the prisons, we are talking to our neighbors, we are talking to strangers, and we're sharing the gospel. The seed is falling, right? And how beautiful that, that we would have such a high esteem of the Lord's kingdom and a high esteem of what a healthy body looks like and it may shatter some of your ideals for some of us in this room what a healthy church looks like i have said in the past is not a church that has zero problems let it sink in a healthy church is not necessarily one that has zero problems here's what happens when you have no problems nothing because you're never going to fight, never going to have disagreements. Everything is good. Let's just keep house now. Don't ask anyone to come to church services because if they start and they become Christians, it might disrupt the whole boat. See what I'm saying? That's the picture I'm coming from. And so, in fact, if the seed is falling, how beautiful because we get to see a great diversity of life. And you know there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 about the manifold wisdom of God that is personified through the Lord's church that's because the Lord's church gets to have all walks of life coming into its body and as a result you get to see the manifold wisdom of God through the body of Christ so more to be said about that in the future so here's the thing if if soul is prepared and if we're sowing good seed and that's what is happening Growth is going to come. It's just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when. Right? We're told, um, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, you know, yeah, Apollos planted, I watered. At some point, God is going to give the increase. Right? So that is a reality that will take place as long as we keep working. 
It may not have been, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but over time it will grow. And at some point, it may even explode. And again, I'm not talking about shifting of church membership type mentality. I'm talking about the sharing of God's word where souls, precious souls who are in this world are ready to hear the gospel and are added to the body of Christ. Growth is going to come. That's just a reality of what's going to happen. And here's what happens when growth does come. Think about the demographics. Look at the demographics of Williamson County and look at the demographics of this congregation. Not necessarily the same, are they? From a ethnicity standpoint, by and large, white. And I know Williamson County is not all white. So you're going to have various ethnicities. Demographics are going to change. Culture. Again, and I'm not dealing with ethnicity. I'm talking about culture. You've got the blending in. Right now, there is, at least from my minimal um, vantage point, it's almost looked like the state of California is moving to Tennessee. <laughs> right? Okay. So, and I know it's not just Tennessee, but it's happening. And I, I even heard of someone from California that's moving out this way at some point. Um, and so we know you're going to get a variety of individuals with a variety of cultures that can be from the West Coast, from the Northeast, from outside. I mean, where, where's Jake? Jake? Now, he, or, he might have taken Josh home. Okay. Jake's wife is Chinese. And she's a brand new Christian. Her English if you listen to her closely, it's difficult to understand. And guess what? We probably are difficult for her to understand, especially some of us with southern draws. It's just a cultural thing. And so we're going to have demographics and cultures. But even then, you're talking about spirituality differences. You have people, because of these two backgrounds of demographics and culture, that spirituality coming into the body of Christ, very different. We have brethren that are very spiritually minded who have joined themselves to this congregation and brethren who are not very spiritually minded. Sorry to be judged, brethren, but some of us are more spiritually minded than others. It's not a knock against you. It's just a reality. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. But we play all this coming together into the body. And again, guess what? The more and more that comes to be a part of our church family, the more we have to deal with sin. That is a reality. And not only that, you got a baggage of beliefs from their past coming into the church's present. So tell me if growing pains are to be expected. The answer is yes. And it's a good thing. I mean, no one likes sin in the church. It's sin. No one likes to have beliefs that challenge our current beliefs. No one likes when, when we're comfortable in the culture that we exist and someone has a culture and they bring it in. It's like, wait a second, it's my church, right? Have I not heard sometimes we say, that's my church. And so we, we get this sense of, you know, hey, you're sitting in my pew <laughs> type of thing. So... We're going to have to learn to grow. 
And as a result of that growth, it will be a beautiful thing. But here's where the growing pains come in. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time focused in on some of these things. Because this is the hard part right here. When pains come, and they will come, how do we handle that? For instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to, to read. Read with me, Ephesians 2. I love this text here, and, we're gonna, and this is going to overlap with Acts chapter 6. So we're going to get to Acts chapter 6 after this. But I want you to read a little bit with me in the text. Ephesians chapter 2. All right, so... Verse 11 following, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Let me, let me just restate it. Remember that you Gentiles, you were here and you come to join us Jews, Jews and Gentiles. He says, at that time, you Gentiles, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Did you catch the play on words? I think we're 2,000 years removed. It's harder for us to catch the play on words. Jews, Gentiles. Jews, covenant relationship with God. Gentiles did not have a covenant relationship with God. And now through Christ, the two are one. Two different diverse groups. And from a... Jewish standpoint, what would be so visually understanding in what Paul is saying when writing to the church at Ephesus is that the Jews would always travel to Jerusalem every year for the various feasts. And at the temple were these courtyards. And in this courtyard was this outer courtyard. And then further in are the women's courtyard and then those for the Jews themselves particularly men. What separated the general courtyard from the rest of the Jews, the men and the women, was this wall of partition, probably about my waist high, maybe a little bit higher. It was a wall of partition. And there'd be some spaces about this wide or so where the Jews could walk through, but the Gentiles could not. That's the play on words. What was stated here in Ephesians 2 is much more than simply a wall of partition, but actually a metaphoric wall of partition that was coming down, that needed to come down, and it was going to cause difficulties by virtue of lives. And that's where Acts chapter 6 come in. You see, in Acts chapter 6, in this particular case, before the church actually was growing into the realm of Gentiles, there were two primary groups of Jews. You got your stereotypical Jews, and then you got your Greek-speaking Jews, or in some of your translations, it says Hellenist Jews, right? And there was a murmuring within the Lord's church because the Greek-speaking older Jewish women were not being cared for. They're widows. They don't have any means. But there were other widows, and they were being cared for. 
these widows were falling through the cracks. And so in Acts chapter 6, when you, when you read the text, that was an issue. It was a problem that existed by virtue of the church growing. And as you get more and more numbers, eventually you start seeing, hey, people are falling through the cracks. When I mention how when the church grows, you're going to have more people to deal with, and more people to deal with means there's going to be more sin issues, and sometimes it gets really horrific sins. And in our modern American view of Christianity, we do not want to have any black marks on the Lord's church. Your preacher's got to be perfect. Your church leaders have got to be perfect. Your sermons have got to be perfect. Everything is perfectly packaged. I know that for a fact because I've seen a lot of churches where because of sin, don't let anybody know. Now, now let me back up a little bit. Family problems stay within families. I mean, from a blood standpoint, I'm not telling you all my problems, right? You haven't told me all yours, and that's okay. And from a family problem within a congregation of believers, you're still going to have family issues and you want to keep them in-house and what have you. But what, what this has transferred over, over time, is that we don't want the world knowing that we got problems. The reality is, we're all sinners. We've got problems. And while we try to deal with it in-house, it's not like we're trying to show to the world, look at us, we're so great, we're so perfect. I think what we're supposed to tell the world is we're trying to be perfect in serving our Lord. We're trying to be sinless in our walk with our God. But that's the reason why we needed him to begin with. And so that the world is not scared about coming and being added into the body of Christ. And, and furthermore, by simply the fact that we are going to be reaching the gospel to the world and the world is full of darkness, they bring in that darkness. They may not bring it from the standpoint that their sins have been washed away. They bring it in that there's life to be lived, and it still can be fleshly. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when we read the text here, look at what Paul says to the church at Corinth. It was fleshly in two ways. Number one, because there's a brother in Christ living a fleshly life. And number two, how the church was dealing with the brother in Christ was also fleshly. So he's dealing with this. He says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now, 2,000 years later, it's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you. I'm not shocked. 30 years of being a Christian, I've heard of sexual immorality in the body of Christ. And 30 years from now, you're going to still have sexual immorality in the body of Christ, as we did 2,000 years ago. But what Paul is saying is, that wasn't really what was mind-boggling to him. Here's what he did say. And such sexual immorality as not even named among the Gentiles. Wow. You mean from a humanistic vantage point, there was more weight of sexual morality in the Lord's church than among the Gentiles? That's the way it's presented. Now, I know, literally speaking, that's not true. Because what he probably was doing, others probably had done. But he's, making, he's exaggerating the point to say it is that bad. That sin exists in the church and you all are not doing anything about it. So by virtue of sharing the gospel with more and more and more people, 
Just think about it. Think about who we have shared the gospel to in the, in the jails. And I already have names. Maybe Phil can think of the same names that I'm thinking of right now that bring in baggage. And they're having to deal with this baggage. I'll say, is uh, Julie Liskey here? Okay. So one of the baggages is from Julie's neighbor. Remember when we shared the gospel with her neighbor, Dana Ashcroft? She's our sister in Christ. But Dana was a professed lesbian. And even after she became a Christian, she struggled with this from a standpoint of what the Lord's church is teaching and what she reads in the Bible with the lifestyle she had. That's what happens when you preach the gospel to everyone under the sun. You bring in more diversity and more, uh, I guess, I don't know how to call it. We qualify sins as this is horrific. It's all sin. But we do that and we see that. It just is going to be a reality within the body of Christ. And then even doctrinally speaking, right? So in the body of Christ, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, they bring in their own belief system into the body of Christ. So in 2 John, look at 2 John. We often use this passage for everything under the sun that we, that is me, thinks is doctrinal. 2 John, look at 2 John. Verse 7 of 2 John says... For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. I'm going to infer for them to go into the world, they came out from among us, the church. They're going out into the world and saying Jesus did not come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. In other words, this person is against Jesus, the one who has gone out into the world. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for. Well, what is he saying? He's saying that we taught you all that Jesus came into this world and he died as a man. He died according to the flesh. He came into the world as Emmanuel, God with us, born of woman, of flesh. And now there are people who are going and leaving the church and are saying, they don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward because this is the belief. This is a fundamental aspect of Christianity. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ does not have God. So these are going to be things that take place. There's going to be doctrinal error, fundamental doctrinal errors that will take place. And the question that we also are having to strive with, every single one of us in this room, in every single generation since the time of the cross, is on, well, what is doctrine, right? You know, is it the head covering? Is that doctrine? Is it going to be on the length of the, the short thing, on modesty? Is, where is that doctrinal line? Is there a doctrinal line? And, and we're all going to be struggling through it. Some of us are going to have answers that are going to seem so off the wall to someone else. Let me say this. This happened on Thursday, by the way, at Brookdale. Laura, you weren't there. <laughs> uh, Laura, by the way, Laura is visiting with her parents. And they, just, they just started coming to Brookdale, um, Mr. James and Miss Phyllis. Miss um, Phyllis was who I was talking about this morning, about her study in the book of Job. And so anyway, you have in, in this room 
various sects, S-E-C-T-S, of beliefs in the name of Christianity. And within our discussion in Romans chapter 11 on the sovereignty of God was this idea of, well, listen, can a person who is saved by the blood of Jesus fall away? And the text was saying that the Jews were cut off and can be grafted back in. And the Gentiles who were grafted in could also be cut off in their arrogance. And so there are those, me included, saying, yeah, you can lose your soul after being part of the body of Christ. And sitting next to me is Mr. Clayton, who's preached the gospel for a number of years from, uh, I forget what denomination he belongs to. And he says, ah, once you're saved, you can never be lost. And of course, therein lies the, the struggle as we're studying. I believe Mr. Clayton loves the Lord wants to be faithful to the text of God's word and has come to a very con conclusion that I think is wrong. And he believes that my conclusion is every bit as wrong. We're going to have to deal with that as we have fellowship with each other, as we strive to have fellowship, I should say, with one another. That's a reality. Like it or not, however right I think we may feel we are, and I believe there's good reason for our convictions. You have to be convicted about your beliefs. We're not always going to agree. How do we deal with that? How do we practically handle these very moments? Because that's growing pains. And brethren, here's what I've seen happen that is wrong. We get our feelings hurt, and we split up. We act like we're the mature one and the one that's left or the ones that, because we've left, because we're standing for the truth. And I know we've got to stand for the truth, and there may be a time where that has to happen. I don't want it. I don't like it. But it's a reality. I get it. That's the reason why we move around from place to place, because we're trying to do what's right for, for me, for my family, and, and so on and so forth. But the reality is it's never helpful necessarily to the cause of Christ when, when we go through this and we have these differences and all of a sudden, boom, split up. And that's why we have all these sects. That's a reality. But if anyone joins themselves into our church family, how do we right here in this family handle it? That's huge. That's the reason why we need shepherds to help with these church growth pains, if you will. And so... Generally speaking, we know to expect that this will happen. All these things and, and many more things. But the bottom line is you cannot go wrong if you have the mind of Christ. If you have the love of Christ. Because I think Jesus already knew there are people coming in. When he said to, to Matthew or Levi, he says, come follow me. He's, Matthew's got baggage. James and John, sons of thunder... They've got baggage. Peter, Peter, fast mouth Peter, he's got baggage. And everyone else, Judas, he still called them to follow him. And so there are going to be growing pains that we're going to have to expect. And so how we deal with it is very important. Look at how the church dealt with those widows that were falling through the cracks in Acts chapter 6. The apostle said, hey, listen, 
we have a work to do in our, our work. God has commissioned us through Jesus Christ to be ambassadors, to be apostles, and we need to stick to our work at hand. So here's what we want you to do within our church family, so to speak, the church in Jerusalem, thousands of, of people there. We want you to choose and appoint from among the number here men who are godly, spiritually-minded men, full of the Holy Spirit, have them oversee the task of making sure that everyone is cared for. When you read the last verse, Acts chapter 6, of, of this scenario right here, look at verse 7. Let me go to that text here in Acts chapter 6. Let me back up to verse 6. This saying pleased the whole multitude, verse 5, verse 6, they set before them the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So these men had been selected, and now this work, hopefully, of overlooked brethren are taken care of. They handled the situation with the grace of God and the wisdom of God and the love for each other. Then, verse 7, the word of God spread. You talk about a moment of pain. There's, there's angst in the body of Christ. And they get through the trial. And after they get through the trial, the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Let me ask you this something, something that I want you to just ponder in your mind. If, let's say we have some issue in our congregation, in our, in our church family, and, and we have infighting. How many of you actually believe that infighting will stay in-house? Or somewhere along the lines the community finds out about the church at Franklin having infighting. Has it ever happened where you have a big enough issue that it's always stayed within? Listen, our mouths sometimes can get really large. People in the community find out. Now, let's say the split has taken place here at Franklin. Do you think people in the community are going to find out about the split? And how do you suppose that works then when we're trying to share the gospel? I can know of churches here in Franklin since we've moved here that have gone through splits. And it's never been pretty. Happened when I was in Georgia. There was a congregation that had a split. I've never seen the cause of Christ going, man, that was for the glory of God. Not seen it. Flip it around. We have some issue and we struggle through the issue successfully, gracefully, even with good discipline. And we come out on the other side strengthened and closer as a family of believers. Now tell me if that's not inviting to those who are like, wow, they work through their problems? That's the kind of family I want to be a part of. Works both ways. So how do we deal with it? Do we look out for each other's best interest? So again, Philippians chapter 2, Ron's favorite passage, right? Verse 3, seek not only your interests, but the interest of others, right? That's what he says in verse 3. And so if that's going to be the case, 
then when we have these difficult moments because of culture, because of demographics, and so like older generation, younger generation, all these different changes that takes place within the body and these growing pains, if we are always thinking about someone else and their well-being, and if they're doing the same thing, they're thinking about us and our well-being, boy, I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier getting through the other trials that we are going to be faced with. That's how you deal with growing pains. Ultimately, what it looks like, Scripture says, is love. Isn't that what love does? Let me reread the passage that is so familiar for us when we're talking about love, but think of it as not this wonderful feel-good type thing that you put up on the wall, but like the Lord's church actually practicing this. Look at what it looks like. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, love suffers long and is kind. Imagine getting through problems by suffering long and being kind. You can. By the way, you ever get a chance? I know right now she's too shy, but this young girl wrote a book about love and kindness and, and um, gratitude and what have you. Where is she? There she is. She's eight years old, wrote a beautiful book. If you ever get a chance to meet the author, her name is Carolyn Kanani Davis. <laughs> and I know she's shy and she's like, don't want to hear her name about it. Words of wisdom beyond her years. I'm proud to be saying that I'm her daddy. <laughs> beautiful. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not arrogant or puffed up. Love doesn't behave rudely. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked. And it doesn't think evil. The list goes on, and we're going to read some more, but whenever there are problems in the Lord's church, there's always one of these missing. Typically, a multiplicity of these things missing. He says, it does not rejoice in iniquity. Instead, it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. You can be wise, but you're going to accept what someone says. And it's not like Johnny comes up front for the 300,000th time and we're like, I could have expected that from Johnny. Love believes all things. He's coming and reprinting for the 300,000th time. You better accept him. Love believes all things. Imagine when you stop accepting that. Well, ah, he's just faking it. He's wanting attention. Where's your heart? The last time I checked, and I mean this with love, you're not God. But you encourage him after that 301st time that will happen next Sunday. That may be the case. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The body of Christ grows where there is love. 
that is the very epitome of why God made us, to reflect in his image, to reflect his character, so that when the church shares the love of Christ by sowing the seed, it reflects the very love of Christ by living out the gospel message. And as a result, we make it through all of our struggles because of all of our differences, and we come out stronger. Then we're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but we're joined, joined together by what every part of the body supplies to the growing and the edification of itself. As the verse says in love. That's what we're here for. Mark is right, what the church should be. And I think um, when I was um, in bed with the, the surgery and Steve was preaching, it was somewhere around that time when Steve was preaching, he was talking about the church being a place of hospice. Because look at the people who are sinning, broken lives that need their burdens lifted through Jesus. And through Jesus means through his family. I tell you, when you have that kind of a church, and I believe that's what we are working on and we are becoming more and more like that. That's my personal opinion and I'm not trying to say that because I'm a member of this body of believers because I'm actually objectively seeing things that makes the statement true. In all of our imperfections, in areas that we still have to grow and mature in Christ, that's what I begin to see more and more and more. And it's not that it hasn't been happening before we moved here. I know it's always been happening. But when you continue to see that growth, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I pray that that's what's going to be attractive to the person who hears the good news and wants in. The soil is ready. We're ready, ready and willing to, to sow the seed and we're going to see the results. So, I want it to be known, as we go out this week and we're going to share God's word, think about this message. Think about what we want. Do we want the growing pains? So, you know, we might have those, again, with drug issues, those with sexuality issues, right? Whether it be transgender, homosexuality, whether it's going to be abuse, domestic abuse, anger issues. Is that who you want in the body of Christ? Mitch Davis says yes. And it's hard to want that. Because we got work to do when that happens. Brethren, I say yes, not so that they stay that way, but so that their lives are transformed by the renewing of their minds through the precious blood of Jesus. I hope that's what you want too. And if you're ready, see what happens. Let the chips fall. But God be the glory. If you're on that end and you want to be part of that body of Christ that we see in scriptures that I believe we're trying to practice here at Franklin, I urge you, I beg you, take the mask off if you've got one on. Acknowledge your sins. Recognize them if you haven't been able to acknowledge them. And be washed. Be renewed. That's the whole picture of dying with Christ and raising to walk in newness of life. Every one of us in this room, we're, not, we're far from perfect. But we're trying. And hopefully we'll try together. 
And so if you want to join yourself to the body of Christ when he adds you into his church, you can do that by faith, believing that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, who died for your sins. And brethren, if you need our prayers as a child of God, by all means, we're family. We should be able to open up. And hopefully as time and trust builds, you'll be open enough where you can say, hey, I need prayers. This is your invitation. Take advantage of it right now. It's together we stand and sing.